Girl said you hallelujah. Girl said you hallelujah. Girl said you hallelujah. Cause uptown funk don't give it to you. Cause uptown funk don't give it to you. Cause uptown funk don't give it to you. Saturday night and we in the spot. Don't believe me, just watch. Alright, so we're live as opposed to dead. Better to be alive than dead, right, Brian? I think so. I'm I'm pretty happy to be alive. Well, they came pretty close to dying on Sunday against the Bengals. Ooh. How about that for a segue, by the way? How about that for a professional segue out of me? That's pretty damn good. That's why you're on the show, dude. <laughs> hey, let me ask you this. Speaking of dying, when Wilson threw that jump ball to Metcalf, did you think that was getting picked off? Uh, no, I didn't. You didn't? I wow. did not. Okay. Why not? Well, because Russell throws very few picks, and especially he throws very few picks deep downfield. His picks tend to come on shorter, more contested passes near. He throws very catchable deep balls, and, you know, Metcalf, I didn't know what if he was going to catch it, but I figured he'd have a pretty good shot to at least make the play or knock it down. Okay, let me, let me reverse that question then and ask you about another pass thrown by the Bengals when Dalton threw that ball to John Ross over Tedrick Thompson's head, did you think that ball was getting picked off? You really want to start me on that, Dave. I, <laughs> I, I haven't been. Yes, I do. I have not been that livid um, at any one play. I was not even that mad when the Seahawks threw the interception at the one-yard line in the Super Bowl. That's, oh. how, that's how mad I was at that play, partially because, well, a lot of reasons, but – Man, that is a grade school play. It, anybody yep. should be able to make that play, um, at least knock it down, to not even get a finger on the ball. You know how far off you have to be in judging that ball? It just, and it was no wind. There was nothing, there was no excuse. It was just, to me, it was a benchable play. And as I've said before, I think if you cut Tedrick Thompson right now, I don't, I'm not sure a single NFL team would sign him. And if they did, I'm certain that there's not a single NFL team that would start him. So I just, I'm ready to turn the page. I am really hopeful the Seahawks. I'm not sure Leno Hill or Marquise Blair are instantly going to be better, but I'm ready yep. to try to see if there's someone better or someone different on the team can put out. Well, I think, I think first of all, if he did, just to play that hypothetical game, if he did get cut, I think somebody would pick him up because I do think there still is a little bit of cachet with being an ex Seahawk uh, secondary player, corner sure. or safety, so I think I, I think somebody would find the guy. Heck, Brian, I think somebody would sign the guy just to hopefully rip off some secrets that the Seahawks like to use in Seattle. So I think somebody would sign the guy. Number one, I, I totally agree with you. I'm not sure if he's a starter anywhere in the National Football League. Maybe for some terrible teams late in the year that have injury, but this is why I think having Bradley McDougal is still so huge for this football team because of how versatile he is. I mean, if Lano Hill or Marquise Blair end up being your strong safety and you can move Bradley over to free safety, and if you can get something out of Jamar Taylor or Ugo Amadi at nickel down the road, I think they still have maybe two or three different recipes to put together a successful secondary. If you don't agree with that, I'd love to hear your thoughts, but I also think that those recipes – I'm starting to get more and more convinced every day. None of those recipes include Tedrick Thompson. Yeah. I, I, look, I, I think that we are lucky that McDougal can switch. I, I, he's, McDougal has been very vocal that his preference and he, he feels like his strength is at strong safety. Correct. Um, so right. so th there is absolutely part of the calculation here for coaches is like, do we want to take our best secondary player and 
put him in a position that he's not quite as well suited for. So it's not just replaces Tedrick. It's maybe getting a little bit less out of Bradley, which is, that's a big consideration, but at the same time, and, and I, sorry, I'd add to that, Marquise Blair, he already made mistakes in the preseason. He's going to make more and they probably are going to be like really costly. Um, yep. I would just say that Marquise Blair will also, I think he, to me, he will be like Earl Thomas in his rookie year. He will make some plays. He will make some hits. He will cause some turnovers and he will also yep. give up some things. And I just think the balance yep. sheet overall would be better. And I'd rather right. watch him go through those growing pains than watch Tedrick go through like losing pains. Like I, I don't see him growing. I don't see him improving. Uh, I just, I think the team is hurting itself by, by not betting on the future and, and putting someone else in there. Well, and you know what? It kind of brings up another question for me about what, what stage of the process are they in right now? Because when we talk about the secondary and we talk about the receivers and we talk about even some guys on that defensive line, like Jaron Reed, like LJ Collier, it kind of feels like maybe they're in the 2011, 2010-ish range when they were seven and nine in back-to-back years. But then you think about Dwayne Brown being 34 years old and Devion Clowney being on a one-year deal and Ziggy Ansah being on a one-year deal and Michael Kendricks being on a short-term contract and K.J. Wright getting up there in age. I mean, the wide receivers, the defensive backs certainly appear to have long futures with this team because of how young they are. But where are we in the process? Because if we are in the 2010-2011 range, then great. Play Marquise Blair. Let him make some mistakes. Play O.J. Collier. Let him make some mistakes. Play Lano Hill. Let him have some growing pains. But if we're not in the 2010-2011 range and we're actually in the 2012 range, they got to figure out who that guy is right now, Brian. They can't afford to be letting a kid learn on the fly. And if they don't have the answer right now, they got to go out and trade for somebody. Yeah, I don't know if I totally agree with the, the, the trade piece. Like, look, I, I think that when I'm talking about some, I mean, Earl Thomas was a different player by the end of that season than he was at the beginning. So if you think this team can be a playoff team with a player learning how to play that yeah. position and going through some of those growing pains, then the question becomes, is, are you going to be a better team come playoff time by playing Marquise Blair now and letting right. him grow? Or are you going to be a better team by playoff time, you know, keeping someone like Tedrick Thompson in there? And, you know, it might even be, do you think you won't make the playoffs if you don't have at least someone who you trust in Tedrick Thompson avoiding some, some mistakes, um, yeah. but never making any plays that impact the game? And I well, just, I'm just saying, don't feel that. Go ahead. No, I just, yeah, I just yeah, want, I mean, to see, I want to see them lean forward. No, I'm totally agree. Uh, I just don't know if those guys are here or not yet. And that's why I brought up the whole trade piece. I mean, it's why they went out and got the players they got, including bringing back Jamar Taylor, who's been in the NFL for what, five or six years, has made a bunch of starts, especially games against Pittsburgh, which I think is going to be big this weekend against the Steelers, potentially. I mean, the lack of the nickel play, for example, on Sunday. I mean, I don't know how much of that was what the Bengals were doing Game plan wise, because we saw a lot, like Michael Robinson said this morning, a lot of what the Rams used to do with Zach Taylor now was the head coach in Cincinnati. They're running a lot of that Rams offense. So maybe there was no need for a nickel. But I also think a big part of that is because they don't have anybody right now who can play that spot. They got guys that are banged up and they don't trust anyone to be that nickel guy. We saw more three linebacker sets in this game on Sunday than I think we've seen in maybe, I don't know, two or three years, if not even longer than that. So 
there's a dire need at nickel. Let's hope that Ugo Amadi can eventually become that guy. I think he will become that guy. Let's hope that Jamar Taylor can fill that void right away. And look, Jamar Taylor is another guy that just like McDougal, if Trey Flowers doesn't pan out and he's making mistake after mistake every week and he can't figure out how to cover people without grabbing guys, Jamar Taylor could slide potentially into a spot like that as well as well as a guy like Nico Thorpe. So I think there are, again, recipes to make this happen, but there's so many unknown ingredients. What is Marcus Blair during the regular season when he's healthy? Uh, what is Lano Hill during the regular season when he's healthy? Uh, what is Trey Flowers when he gets a bunch of snaps under his belt? The only guy, honestly, after the first uh, week of the year and after training camp that I really kind of feel better about today versus a year ago is Shaq Griffin. I think Shaq yep. Griffin's been great in the preseason. I thought he was really good in the game on Sunday. So great to see him take that next step. And with him going into a potential contract year, getting a, maybe re-upped over the offseason, this is a huge year for him. So out of all the positives and negatives, Brian, in the secondary that we saw on Sunday, I think the biggest impact, honestly, was the way Shaq Griffin played. I agree. I mean, that, that was a <laughs> – I think I freaked some people out when I said I actually left that game feeling more encouraged by the way the defense played than the way the offense played. <laughs> yeah. in, in a game when yeah. they gave up 400 yards passing. But, um, yeah, I thought Shaq Griffin was a big part of it. I thought he made uh, three plays um, that he would not have made last year in terms of knocking the ball away. This guy did not get his hand on the football many times last year at all. Uh, and, yep. yeah, he, he played a great game. And I guess I'll just close on the safety thing because I think you bring up good points. I am not, you know, I am not a guy that just likes, let's bring up familiar names. I'm fine with them moving on with younger players. But if you're really concerned, you say Marquis Blair and Lano Hill aren't ready to start. I would be a bigger fan of signing someone like Deshaun Shedd off the street and sticking him in there for mm-hmm. three or four games. I think you're better yep. off with Deshaun Shedd at safety than you are with Tedrick Thompson. And I think he's more likely he's going to make plays. I think he can tr- contribute in more ways. And then start Blair, Lano Hill later in the year. I just... I'm done with Tedrick. I, I don't. I don't think he's got it. Yep. And may, usually, I say I hope he proves me wrong. I don't really think he will. I just. I, yeah. I, I'm done with it. Well, I'm sensing you're done with Tedrick Thompson. All right. <laughs> I'm just kind of sensing that. So this maybe is... I'm way off base here, but I'm kind of sensing that you're done. Maybe it's because you said it right there three times. So that this is, maybe that's this is, what's giving me the impression. This is my calmest I've been about discussing Tedrick Thompson. Just so you yeah. know. I got gotcha. you. Well, I mean, look, I mean, look, both of us, both of us, I think, believe, especially after the acquisitions they made, that this could be a pretty special year. And neither one of us want anybody coming in here and mucking the whole thing up, right? Like a free safety uh, or a right tackle. I mean, for as bad as uh, Tedrick Thompson played on defense, I thought Jermaine Effetti was just as bad, if not worse, at right tackle on Sunday against the Bengals. And that was a major disappointment for me because I thought, just like guys that were going into their free agent year, not picking up the fifth-year option for a Fetty, I thought he would take a step forward, man. And I'm starting to wonder if the guy even can take a step forward. I mean, you saw the video on Inside the NFL this week. They score on that Carson touchdown, and Jermaine Fetty's getting into a fight with Carlos Dunlop on the field, and Russell Wilson has to run over and break the damn thing up. Otherwise, there would have been a 15-yard penalty on the Seahawks. So not only is this guy playing terrible football, he's also really kind of putting them in harm's way at times. Oh yeah. I mean, <laughs> this is a loaded question. No, you're not. I was going to ask you a loaded question here. Would you, would you rather have Jacob Martin on this roster or Jermaine Effetti? 
Oh, Jacob Martin, 10 times out of 10. Are you kidding me? Because I feel comfortable with George Fant at right tackle. Yep. I can go out and find a guy to play right tackle for this football team. Jacob Martin, obviously, I'm more than willing, and I was more than willing to trade him and Mingo and the third for Clowney. I thought it was a steal for John Schneider. But if you're asking me, I'm walking into a room uh, with a pool of players, and I got 52 guys, and I, I, and I need one more, and I can pick from a Fetty or Jacob Martin. Are you freaking kidding me? It's Jacob Martin 10 times out of nine, dude. I think you and I are in the minority, dude. I, I think the majority of people would say, don't trade your starting tackle. You trade the How? Backup. How can anybody disagree with that after watching him play for the last four years? What are you talking about? I, there are people that are – I mean, he, is, he, is, he has improved. I will grant that. I mean, he's a better player than he used to be, but he's still not a very good player. I don't think he's yeah. that great, and I don't think they're going to re-sign him anyway. And I think there's a potential that George Fant would be better right now and I think Jamarco yep. Jones might be better right, right now. So, you know, I, you know, and looking, looking at the other side, man, when they did not have Jadavian Clowney out on the field, the defensive mm-hmm. end were thin. Everyone keeps talking about Quentin Jefferson having a great game, which he did, and that he's part of the defensive end rotation. He wasn't. He was playing defensive tackle um, in that. Right. So you're talking about Rasheem Green and Brandon Jackson and – those guys were not great. Rasheem Green had the clinching tack, you know, strip sack. That's yep. great. Right. But other than that, he was like, he was, neither of them were very good. And I think, you know, it really, for me, looks at like, if Latope Ansa gets back, I think they're really going to need Ansa and Clowney to be available all year because yeah. yeah. they're pretty thin after that. And Jacob Martin, no, uh, great to have. Yeah, you're right. Green, green, green was a zero up until the last play for sure. And I'm hoping that he can build on that. I mean, I thought the Bengals between, between you and I and our parents listening, I thought that they got hosed on that last play of the game. The Bengals did. It was a clear and complete pass to me, but I still think they're behind the eight ball and they lose the game anyway. But until that play, Rasheem Green has been an absolute non-factor for these guys. And you're right about Quentin Jefferson, and I think it's great, uh, uh, actually, that you are right. I would rather have him be a force from the inside than sure. a force from the outside because I think it's a more valuable position when you can have a pass rusher like Jaron Reed, like Cortez Kennedy, like John Randall, who can do what he did against the run and the pass. Man, that is, a, that is an absolute rare commodity in the NFL. That's why Jaron Reed's going to make millions upon millions of dollars a year six-game suspension or not, he's about to get paid big time when his contract is over. So if Quentin Jefferson can do that from the inside, imagine what guys like Clowney and Ansa and Collier, when they're all healthy, can do, and Kendricks even as an outside linebacker, from the outside can do. So, I mean, again, the, the, there were issues, yeah, with the defense, but you know what? I mean, how many times did Dalton throw the football in that game? 50-plus, 45-plus times yeah. in the game on Sunday. The yards are going to come. That system of the Rams that Zach Taylor brought to Cincinnati He's going to bring some yards. There's no question about that. This Sunday is a different animal, though, against Juju and Big Ben, the Terminator, in their house. I think the worst news the Seahawks got all week long, to be honest with you, man, was the way the Steelers got their ass kicked on Sunday. Yeah. That, I, I, I did not like watching that go down the way it did Sunday night. Yeah, yeah no, it's true. And, and I'll tell you, though, I just I think I was talking with some other folks. I, I don't know that I've been as – uneven in terms of being able to you know have a feeling of how this game's going to go as, as any in recent memory like i'm not exactly right. sure who the steelers are they certainly are always better when they play at home they're a great home team we know how good big ben is 
Um, but they haven't played without, he's only played four games now, five without Antonio Brown in his career. Um, and right. not been great in those cases. We heard about Tyler Lockett struggling because he'd never been dealing with double coverage because he had Doug Baldwin. So I think Juju Smith Schuster is dealing now with different coverage than he was before and who's behind him. So I don't think we really know for sure. Their offensive line did not play as well as it normally does. Their defensive line, there were issues there. Their secondary, there were issues. You know, Seahawks, the offensive line played so much worse, so much worse than I think, you know, our worst fears were not as bad as, as what they showed on, on Sunday. The tight end position, Nick Vanette was a zero in blocking. There's a lot of things that were just hard to predict. We don't know if DK Metcalf is going to be DK Metcalf like he was in week one every week or if that was sure. just a game. It's just, this is a hard, hard game to assess. I think you have to feel, you know, the edge goes to the home team in those situations, but right. you know, it could go either way. I really, you know, I, I'm curious how you see about this game. Well, uh, yeah. I mean, like I said, the game on Sunday is, I, I, I don't like facing a team that got embarrassed on the road and then coming back for the opener for the home opener for them in week two. So Right away, I'm not a big fan of that. I mean, I will say that Pittsburgh has lost five of seven going back to last year. And in five of those seven games, they've scored 17 points or less. So, you know, what is this offense without Antonio Brown, without Le'Veon Bell? I mean, I'm not sure if we even know yet what they are or what they are not without those guys because what we saw last year was kind of a mess with Pittsburgh. But I also think the Seahawks, you know, have some weaknesses on, on, on defense at free safety like we talked about. You know, that right side of the offensive line like we talked about that if Pittsburgh is smart, and I think they are, that they'll try and exploit in this game on, on, on Sunday. So I think you got a, you got a schedule coming up here in the next what month or so where you've got the Rams on Thursday night, the Saints at home, and Pittsburgh on the road. And if you told me right now you can guarantee two of those three wins, I would sign up for that in a second. Yeah. I would not even hesitate yep. about, about taking two out of three in that run, wouldn't you? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing how things play out this week. I'm hoping I, it's not disastrous. You know, I think this is, this is a game that really calls for Pete Carroll style football. If they can, if they can grind it out and keep it close into the fourth quarter, I, I feel like, you know, Russell and the team, that, that's a good sign and they, 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 they can stay within striking distance, but you know, we'll yep. see. I mean, this defense, like I said, if, if Tedrick Thompson doesn't make one of the worst plays in Seahawks defensive history, and we don't have Cody Barton run into the punter. This defense yep. gave up 10 points last week. I mean, yep. so I, I, I'm really eager to see, you know, we're hopefully going to get Ziggy Ansah back. LJ Collier might get his first snaps. Um, yep. Let's see. Let's see what it looks like. It could be a fun day. Also hoping to see John Arsua uh, active in this game on Sunday. I was disappointed to not see number 15 get activated for the game on Sunday. I, I understand why, because of the game plan. And maybe like you said, because of this week's game plan, you might not see much through the air again in this game, but uh, I'm, I'm kind of hopeful to see number 15. So we'll see, man. Uh, great stuff. All right. And let's hope for a win on Sunday. We'll do it again next week. Sounds good. Softy. You're the man. See you buddy. All right. Take care. And thanks for everybody. Uh, if you haven't already, please join up at patreoncom slash Hawk blogger, support the show, the site, we should have a new Cable Thanos video coming later today. So look for that. Uh